Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I am a mother, an author, an entrepreneur, a daughter, a friend, and more. I started this podcast when my second child was born to create a space for inspiring and meaningful discussions from the quiet space of my home. What blossomed is a platform for people who quite simply want to grow each and every day of their lives. Even though I'm the founder of Beyond Mom, what revealed itself was that these conversations weren't only for moms, they were for everyone. We are a lifestyle podcast that covers health, both body and mind, self-care, why it's a necessity, and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship, and more. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Some names you may know, and some you may not. But either way, I know that their stories need to be told. These conversations move me and will move you to step forward with more strength, clarity, and kindness with every micro moment of your day. Enjoy today's conversation. Share it with the ones you love and let me know how you're inspired to go beyond. Well, hello and welcome back to the Going Beyond podcast. This is your host, Randy Zinn. I'm psyched that you're here for another conversation that I know is going to be moving, inspiring, and very relevant. I'm joined today by my friend, Reshma Sajani. She's somebody who I have truly wanted to get to know more, and I feel like this conversation today is the perfect opportunity, but we do happen to share a lot of friends, a lot of community. We both happen to have little ones in the same preschool, which I love because it just shows that some of these very meaningful connections that can happen professionally and creatively can also be anchored in our motherhood experience. Hashtag beyond mom, right? So I am joined by Reshma today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we are going to dive into the conversation. So Reshma is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. This is an international nonprofit organization working to close the gender gap in technology and change the image of what a computer programmer looks like and does. She's the author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect, and the New York Times bestseller, Girls Who Code, Learn to Code and Change the World. Reshma's TED Talk, Teach Girls Bravery Not Perfection, has more than 4 million views, so exciting, and has sparked a worldwide conversation about how we're raising our girls. She is the host of the award-winning podcast, Brave Not Perfect. So... Rashma's done a bajillion things, okay? She has so many interesting life experiences and professional experiences and ways that she is giving back to the planet. So there's going to be so many things that are going to come into this conversation today. She does live here in New York with her little son and her husband, and she's making it happen. So I'm really excited to dive in today to this conversation about perfection and, yes, about raising our girls and everything in between. So, Reshma, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Randy. I'm so excited to be here. 
Yeah, so let's dive in. I mean, where do we start with such a big concept? Let's find bravery and not perfection. Let's go. Okay, where do we start? Like, I think we start at like Madison Square Park, right? When we're sitting there like watching how our kids play. Because I think that's when it begins. And you see boys who like crawl to the top of the monkey bars and just jump. And with our girls, we're like, you know, be careful, honey. You know, don't swing on that swing too high. Like, is your dress dirty? Come over here. Let me clean you up. Like, did you take that toy away from her? Give it back. Like, from the time our girls are little, right, we're wrapping them up with bubble wrap. And it often starts in the name of physical protection. Like, we feel like we don't want our girls to get hurt. But what happens is, is by protecting and coddling our girls, as they get older, they get addicted to perfection. And they start giving up before they even try. And as they get older, older, when we're women, you know, you go into any home and you see women who are depressed and anxious. And a lot of that has to do with perfection. And you go into the workplace or you go into the world and you see women who are waiting to be perfect to lead. It's why, you know, men apply for jobs when they meet 60% of the qualifications. And for women, it's 100%. We don't even fill out an application form so we can check out every single box. And I think that the anecdote to perfection is bravery. Hmm. Well, first of all, before we get into bravery, can you tell me what you think perfection really is? Because it's not real. Yeah, no, perfection is like a cruel joke. It's like a ruse. Like it's like a thing you can never actually have, but you keep trying to have. And I think part of how I understand it is like, what are the myths of perfection? So like I use, I think that like, if I look perfect, I'll be perfect. So I would, you know, obsess about making sure that my hair looked right before I gave a speech. You know, you said, I used to literally, before I gave a speech, memorize every single word. So I sounded smart because if I thought if I sounded smart, then you would take me seriously. And so, so much of our anxiety as women is often about looking the perfect part and thinking that if we do, then nothing can touch us. Do you think that perfection also has something to do with control? I do. I think that, and that's a lot of that is about like minimizing failure. So if we can control the outcome, we don't fail because when we fail, we don't like how that feels. And I think so many of us feel like I certainly did, like, If I fail, it will break me. You know, when I ran for office, I realized I was 33 years old. I ran for Congress, right? Crazy thing to do. When I looked back at my life, I was like, wow, I've never taken a professional risk that I didn't think wouldn't work out. And why is that? What was that about? And it was because I thought that if I failed, it would break me, that I wouldn't be able to mentally or physically literally get out of bed. And so it wasn't worth the risk. Right? It wasn't the worth the risk of trying to do something that wasn't going to work out if I thought that if I did that, I could never recover. And I think that that's what stops so many women from actually taking risks and because they're afraid that failure will actually break them. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I am sort of want to take some time with you here to like really, before we get into bravery, which is like, of course, so important. We're going to spend some time there. But I do sort of want to dissect perfection a little bit because I think we're, we are so culturally programmed that we don't even realize the handcuffs that it puts us in. I'm sitting here right now just thinking about my own story and 
where does the perfectionism or the striving for it lie? And it's in so many places. It is in those, I think for me, it's a little bit in like the dark caves of my inner monologue, you know, in regards to business and risk and judgments that I think people might have upon me. There's a lot there. I think motherhood is a great fertile ground for (laughs) looking at where perfectionism and judgment comes in. You're right. The playground is a great place to see it. I also think like what happens in the home in terms of food and schedules and it kind of brings it all out, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I often think like, where did this, we know that it exists. Like I have just gotten off a book tour and whether I'm in Canada or the UK or India or, you know, in Montana or Alabama, it's the same. We have the same collective experience. You know, we are afraid to tell people what we really think. We sit in meetings and, you know, when we're asked to give our opinion, we kind of look down and we scribble and we write, we scribble and we write. And then the guy next to us says the very thing we were thinking of and like the meeting's over, right? We all have these very collective experiences regardless of race, socioeconomic status or where we live. And so we've been raised the same way and we're raising our kids the same way. And so, and it starts at such an early age and so part of me, it's like, I'm on a quest to really figure out, like, how do we stop doing that? As parents, how do we stop doing that? As women, how do we stop doing that? And then I think fathers and men have a role to play, too, in helping kind of unlearn perfectionism. But it's deep, but I think it can be unlearned. That's why I'm, I'm excited about it. Okay, so tell us. Like, let's get into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think first we have to, you know, we know that we've been raised to be perfectionists. And we know that it's killing us physically and psychologically, emotionally, and it's harming us from just a leadership perspective. So how do you unwind that? And I think, how do you unlearn perfectionism is one, you practice being imperfect. You, the one like example I give to women is, you know, let's take an email, right? Most of us spend hours, minutes, whatever, rereading and rewriting emails, right? Emojis, explanation points. We so quickly go from, I made a typo to I made a mistake to I'm stupid to I'm going to get fired all in about five seconds, right? So how do we unlearn that? And so I tell women, you know what? Send an email and just say what you want to say. Don't read it 50 times and just press send and see what happens and make it semi-consequential, right? It can't be to like a spouse or your best friend or your sister, right? It's got to be something that kind of matters. And women will see like, oh my God, you're right. Like nothing happened. No one noticed my typo. I cannot believe for the past 20 years I have been, you know, spending 30 minutes in email. And it's, so it's revolutionary or even like as simple as bringing store-bought cookies to, you know, your, your kids, you know, you'll appreciate this. At our nursery school, you know, I would every year like, you know, bake cupcakes because I didn't want to just go to Whole Foods and buy like the no peanut, no dairy, no gluten cupcakes that were just so much easier to do. And this year I did it, right? Like I just brought those whole food and it was fine. They were happy. It was all good. I always bought those, Rashma. I always bought them. (laughs) Right. You're ahead of the curve on like your mommy imperfection than I am. But like, I can't tell you how many women won't leave their house without a full face makeup on. Like that is just like a what? Like no way. And so I encourage women to kind of practice imperfection, whatever that means to you. And you do start letting things go. Yeah. You know, I also think perfection, it really is truly wrapped up in not only the ways that we do things, but our identity. I think that many of us view ourselves as, you know, oh, I'm the organized one or 
I'm the good mother or however it is. I, for myself, I view myself as someone who makes connections with people. I don't fight with people. So what that's done is it'll put moments in my life where I'll not say things because I think I'm afraid of that being viewed as imperfect because I might have caused a conflict. Well, also, you don't want to shake your identity. And I think that that, again, goes back to the time when little girls. Mm. So pretty much starting at eight years old, we start comparing ourselves to others because we hear our mothers do that. Right. So we watch our mothers and our mothers are like, oh, like, look at her butt. Like, you know, or I don't do that. And she does that. And so we put ourselves in, in the box, the good girl box. Right. So you are the good organizer. So anything that like contradicts that identity, you don't want to do. And that's how we start kind of silencing ourselves. And those are exactly the places that we need to play, because those are the places where one, we're the harshest on ourselves and two, we're kind of the harshest on others. And we're missing out. Like we're missing out on all the experiences that can happen when we speak our mind or free up that time that's otherwise spent on some sort of concept of doing something perfect. And you would ask yourself, like, does that still bring you joy? Okay, you're a connector, but it's hard being a connector all the time, you know? Like, and is that still bringing you joy? And is that identity still making you happy? You know, we pick identities that later on in our life no longer actually make us happy anymore. They're not bringing us joy. They're actually bringing us stress. Like, I find that I feel that I always see myself, too, as someone who's very generous with their time. Like, I want to be the person where little girls can email me and say, can I have 10 minutes of your time? And I'll walk you through and fix your whole life. And, you know, got to a certain place in my life where I couldn't squeeze it all in. And I would feel so guilty every time I got that email and I didn't respond. But I wasn't enjoying that time anymore either because it was feeling too stressful. And so I had, I knew I needed to figure out a better way, right, than just saying yes all the time. Yeah. And so I had to really be honest with myself that, like, you know, again, that identity wasn't making me happy anymore. And I didn't need to do it. I could find other ways of, you know, doing a podcast, writing a book, you know what I mean, that where I could reach and, and give my message that wasn't in periods of time of 10 minutes throughout my seven days a week. So I was sitting there on a Sunday, instead of watching Netflix and just chilling out, I had scheduled 30 calls. Wow. Yeah. I mean, talk about reflecting upon what brings you joy and what drains you. Yeah. And we're judged because we're expected to be generous with our time. Like I find this, I don't know if you find this, I find this all the time where people expect me to go to their kid's school and speak. People expect me to want to come to their company and talk. People expect me, you know, to want, and it's, and it, I often feel like because people feel like I should give all myself to everybody because I'm a woman and I have a real hard time saying no. And so ultimately I get upset and I feel, I don't know, I'm tired or I'm, you know, I don't have any time for myself. And I feel like myself because I can't say no, because I don't want people to not like me. I appreciate that you're saying that, Reshma, because, you know, it's very easy for people on the outside to, you know, look at someone like you or someone like me and be like, oh, you know, out there doing their thing. Of course they want to go, you know, say yes to all these things. That's what they do. That's what they like. But actually, like, to be the person that can actually model what it is to love yourself enough and have that ability to say no and preserve your energy. And when you do put yourself out there, it'll be for all the right reasons. Right. 
I'm thrilled to introduce you to this month's podcast sponsor. Needed is a women-founded, thoughtful nutrition company on a mission to create broader nourishment through better supplements, fundamentals-focused education, and community. They empower mamas and mamas-to-be to better identify nutrition needs and to address them through products that work better in the body and in daily life. Their first focus is on omega-3, a crucial nutrient for all women, but especially those focused on fertility and pregnant and postpartum mamas. Omega-3 supports baby's brain, eye, and heart development, as well as mama's mood and brain function and breast milk DHA levels. Needed's Omega-3 is a vegan powder delivered in liposomes. Liposomes are nature's way of delivering omegas, like in a piece of salmon or in breast milk, for the highest possible absorption. Needed has done the work to prove their product is five times better absorbed than standard fish oils through a third-party clinical study. Rather than fish, Needed uses sustainably sourced oil from microalgae, which is actually the marine source that fish get their DHA and EPA from. I love that Needed's Omega-3 is a powder that blends easily into smoothies, coffee, tea, salad dressings, and more. It's easier for me than taking a big fishy pill. Want to know what my favorite smoothie is? Okay, so I take banana, almond butter, frozen blueberries, almond milk, a dash of peppermint essential oil, and one pack of Needed's Omega-3 powder. Blend, blend, Yum. Needed is committed to helping women better identify their nutritional needs, including through simple at-home blood testing. Going Beyond listeners can get a free omega-3 DHA and EPA test with the start of a Needed subscription. So go to thisisneeded.com and enter code GOINGBEYOND at checkout. So again, Needed wants to provide you with the information that you need to make better nutritional choices. When you go to thisisneeded.com, you can get a omega-3 DHA and EPA test with the start of a Needed subscription. Enter code GOINGBEYOND at checkout. All of that can be yours. Thank you, Needed, for sponsoring the Going Beyond podcast. So let's talk about bravery now. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us, what is it? I'll tell you what it's not. Bravery is not saving a baby from a burning building or like, you know, slaying a dragon. Like, I think about bravery as everyday bravery and the courage to do exactly that to say no when you don't have time, the courage to ask the question that you want to ask, right? The courage to stop putting off your doctor's appointment because suddenly it became too selfish to take care of yourself. So to me, bravery is about finding joy and it's a moonshot. You know, when I tell my story, I often center my story in how I ran for office. And then I have to remind people, you know what? Like the bravest thing I did over the past couple years, quite frankly, was not running for office because I don't want you to think like to only be brave, I got to run for office or start a company or like, you know, save a baby from a burning building. Like sometimes like the bravest thing I did, you know, was going to the gym. You know, I don't know about you, but like after I had Sean, I could not lose the baby weight, right? I wasn't one of those women where I started breastfeeding and like I dropped 30 pounds, right? Like it was 
stick it on me and it would not go away. And because of my job, I had to look at pictures of myself. I had to watch videos of myself. And I, at least a thousand times a day, I was thinking about my weight and I didn't like the way that I looked. And I was just being really mean to myself. And I also was someone, you know, from the time that I was 16, was very active. Like, I was a cross-country runner. Like, I love to work out. I love to get to the gym. And I just couldn't find the time because I was, like, just immersed in mommy guilt. And I knew that the best time for me was at 7.30 in the morning right before I had to go to work. But that's when, like, my dog Stanley was, like, wanted to go out. And that was our time. That's when Sean was waking up. And... To me, the bravest thing I did was getting the courage to walk out the door and be like, you know what? Y'all figure it out. Like, I got to go to the gym. And it was revolutionary for me in my mindset. And I purposely picked a time that was good for me and bad for everybody else. And I didn't get judge myself for it. And that's bravery, right? Like, if you can't even be everyday brave, if you can't even, again, go to the gym when it's right for you, if you can't even, like, do a doctor's appointment. If you can't tell your best friend, no, I can't help you clean your house. You know what I mean? Because I just worked 50 hours this week. How can you go run for president, right? How can you go like do the big things when we're so hard for us to do the small things? And so I want to teach women how to do the small things, right? How to be everyday brave. And like, it feels good, right? It felt good to walk out of that house, put my Beyonce on and just like hit the pavement. Right. Because it felt good to stand in my own right and do what was good for me. And so that's the joy part. That's the true joy part that I want to teach women. Yeah. And also that old, you know, phrase about bravery, that bravery isn't something that happens when you're not scared or you're not feeling the feelings around it. I totally relate to you. Those little moments of choosing something other than what the majority wants. And the majority could be, you know, your kids and your spouse, like, or whatever. Those moments really do represent something, but they're not isolated. You know, when you're able to step in and choose yourself in those slivers of time, it does bleed into other parts of your life. You start to be able to employ that into choices you're making otherwise. It's so true. It's like last night, my husband's out of town. I had like an intense couple of days. And all I wanted was like a good meal and like a glass of wine. And like Audrey would take care of Sean, you know, she needed to leave at 5.30 to get to church. And I was like, you know what? Like, Sean, you and I are going to dinner and I'm bringing that iPad. Because you know what? Because I want to just chill and have a glass of wine. And like, we literally went to a nice restaurant. I sat the iPad there and I swear to God, everybody in the restaurant was looking at me, judging me, right? Like, there's this mom, you know what I mean? Like with her screen, right? And, and I was like, I don't care because I'm having an amazing plate of spaghetti and a great Pinot Noir. My son's happy. I'm spending time with him. And I'm just relaxed. And I'm reading this book that I've wanted to read for a while. It's things like that. And, and it's true. Like for a long time, like I would feel too judged to go do that because I would think that would just people would be looking at me thinking I was a bad mom. Or why are you in this? You know, like, what are you doing here? And I just think that like, we don't think like that, you know? Yes. Totally. I really feel you, Rajma. There's so much that comes up. So I listened to your amazing podcast interview that you did with also our mutual friend, Nitika Chopra, on her podcast, uh, The Point of Pain. And it was so beautiful. I really loved the conversation because I felt like you were really very personally representing your own experience and even moving toward having your son. And I think this, if you'd like to talk about that, I think 
it was like a very heartfelt experience that I think so many women and certainly my listeners could definitely relate to about even going toward motherhood. Like before you're even dealing with stepping out of the house to work out when your little one wakes up. Like, you know, everything that leads into the choice and the mode in which to even conceive and become a mother faces, you'll put so many women in the place of facing that things aren't what they perceive them to be or thought they should be and that courage that it takes to move through it. So I know you have a story there and, and you expressed it so beautifully. You know, the first time I got pregnant, uh, and I were just engaged and it was a total surprise and a fluke. We weren't trying to have a baby. And, you know, when we went to our first appointment, you know, the heartbeat was really faint. And, you know, they were like, well, like, you know, you're not, you know, you're essentially going to miscarry. And I was shocked because it's funny, right? I feel like everything, no one talks about miscarriage. No one talks about that that happens. And we assume that our bodies are perfect, right? And that you kind of get pregnant and like everything works out. Or if you have a miscarriage, like something, you know, it doesn't happen that way. And so I was utterly, we both were just utterly unprepared, unprepared for. And I remember when the first time we found out we were pregnant, we told everybody and we actually like canceled our wedding because our wedding was going to be out of the country. And we thought, oh, we won't be able to. And we were just so ignorant, right, to like how this stuff, so blissfully ignorant, right, to kind of how this stuff goes down. And then it just, and then, you know, look, I, you know, had then a series, I had five miscarriages. And it was a very, 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 became a very, very painful process. And my entire identity became about being pregnant, not being pregnant, and also not feeling like I could tell anybody, right? There's a lot of shame in miscarriage. It's a little different today than it was in 2012, 13, 14, 15, where now we talk about freezing our eggs a little bit more. We talk about fertility a little. Then it was like very quiet. So I also just felt very shamed. I felt like ashamed of my body and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. And there just wasn't a lot of information of kind of what was happening, I eventually found this incredible doctor who diagnosed me with APS, which essentially, you know, I have a hyperimmune system. So when I get pregnant, my body thinks something is attacking my body and then it attacks it. So you have to take a baby aspirin, you know, take a Lovenox shot, like very intentionally monitor. So I had this really rough pregnancy. Finally had my miracle baby, but it was a lot. Like it was a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma. I feel you there, Rashman, and like sending you a hug on that one because it's there's so many women that go through that similar shame. And I can only imagine that this profound experience in your life had to have informed your call to help women navigate these concepts that we really you know, live our lives around with perfection and then knowing what it takes to step into your life with what you want, bravery. Thousand percent. I mean, I remember, you know, I went to, and it was so kind of crazy because I would always, every time I found out that the baby wasn't going to be viable, it would always be like the day that I had some huge speech I had to give, right? So I would literally go from, you know, my doctor to bawling to putting on makeup to give a speech to 700 girls, right? And I would just keep doing it without missing a beat. I mean, one time I had to introduce like President Obama. I mean, it was just insane, right? And then, you know, after I had Sean and I tried to start having my, tried to get pregnant the second time, I went through the same, you know, all again, you know? And I remember it was just, 
this one time where I was pregnant and then I was in California and I had to fly to Utah to speak to like 700 girls, get the call, you know, the pregnancy isn't going well. And I just, I had to get on the plane and I just did it. And I think at that point I just like lost it to every, you know, like I just like, I couldn't. And I kind of, for the first time told my team and like, was like, I was like, I need some time for myself. But what was a big shocker is why I didn't feel like I could call anybody and be like, I'm not coming. (laughs) I need to take care of myself. I never felt for six years that I ever could do that. And here I am in this like social justice organization, teaching girls, empowering women. And I did not feel like I was worthy enough to say, I can't come. I had to keep feeling I to be that perfect girls who code CEO and show up for everybody else. And I was like, this has got to stop. Not just for me, but you know, for every woman out there, because we all do this, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's something's happening in our family, whether something's happening with our own mental health. We all do this. And it's really affecting us from a health perspective that we continue this ruse and this cruel joke, right? Yeah. So how do things look different now? Because I'm assuming we've made a pivot. (laughs) I mean, I think we need to make a pivot, which is why I'm on this mission to teach women and girls to be brave, not perfect. I think we need to have these types of conversations. I feel like oftentimes... Randy, like when we talk to women, we're talking about how to get a promotion, like how to break the old boys network. Like we're not talking about this, right? All the stuff that we do to ourselves and our lives to void it of joy and happiness. Like, and I think that that's what I want to teach. That's what I'm teaching right now is women to be able to kind of stand up for themselves and to put themselves first. And that's bravery. In many ways, redefine what bravery means. And I do think at the core of it is really unlearning perfectionism because you know if I were to think back of everything that I do that stands in the way of my own happiness or my own greatness it comes down to perfection right I don't run for office because I feel like I'm not good enough or ready I don't tell my coworkers and the people in my life that I cannot show up because I just found out that my baby's heart's not beating because I feel like I have to be perfect it all comes down to that Yeah, pretty profound stuff. I think it's also incredibly powerful to come from someone like yourself, Reshma, because there is this image upon, you know, women who achieve a lot and push pretty hard and put a lot out there into the world and do a lot of good. And then it's like the expectation is that we're like a machine or something and that you continue to live up to that concept. But most powerful, I think, for this message to come from someone who can say, yeah, I've done these things and yeah, I'm doing good work in the world and I'm a human being and I'm going to, you know, head this in another direction and I'm going to teach a new message. Yeah, because shit's really messy. It's always messy. Like, I just don't think that I actually think that the more you accomplish, the more you achieve, the messier it becomes because the more you feel like, oh, wait, I've done this. Now, why aren't I happy? Right. And you're like, you know, I went through this with my book tour. It was everything I wanted it to be international bestseller. I'm moving, you know, hundreds of thousands of women, but I am still going home every night feeling like it's not enough. I didn't succeed. You know, my husband would have had, you know, a party for every bestseller list he hit. So to me, it's so toxic, right? That we're the, every woman I know is this way. And it's so toxic. And I don't want to be like that. And I don't want other women to be like that. It's almost like we can't feel or feel the joy, you know, like, are we not given permission or do we 
Like, is there some like subtle teaching that happens to women that we are, we're not allowed to celebrate and feel it? Yes, there is. It's because we've been taught to be modest, right? So think about a friend of mine was telling me she was at her daughter's, you know, sixth grade, you know, like award ceremony. And like the boys get an award and they're walking up and they're like dabbing, right? And the girls are walking up with their hands on their faces like, who, me? And that's how we live our lives at freaking 43, right? I'm like, who, me? I'm an international. Yeah, God damn it. You spent three freaking years working for this. Like, have a party for yourself. Scream it from the mountaintops. Like, you know, like own it. But I can't. And then you can never really experience the joy because you haven't allowed yourself to celebrate. And then it's never enough, right? And then you're going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing without just pausing and saying, I did that. Like, I'm good. Like, let me go drink some margaritas and just chill the hell out, right? For a month or two. And yeah, I think that that is part of the battle, right? Which is why we don't try to do things because we think that we know how hard the effort will be, right? And then we ask ourselves, is it worth that? Because we really never really feel what it feels like to succeed, if that makes sense. Whereas men put in a quarter of the effort and a thousand times the celebration, right? So for them, every risk is worth it. Yeah, so true. So Reshma, I'm a mom of a three-year-old little girl. What advice would you give me to kind of teach her a new way of being? Well, I would tell you to tell, you know, to let her get dirty and to take things apart and to let her not constantly try to put upon her the things your mother put upon you and your mother's mother put upon her, right? It's kind of generations of perfectionism and just kind of let her be. I also think that means like letting her be mediocre. So like if she goes to dance and she sucks, you know, like let her stay in it. Because as we get older, we tend to associate the things that we're good at with the things that we like. And those are actually two very different things. And so we never really know what it's like to feel joy because we don't have hobbies. We don't have things we just like to do, even though we only do the things we're good at. And then those things become chores, right? So like unteach that at the earliest possible age. It's funny. I, um, you know, our kids are going, starting to go to school and I like a good Indian you know, tiger mom, you know, like order whatever the stuff I need to order for him to take like the hunter test or the gifted and talented test. And like, I just haven't had the time to teach him. So like that little box has been sitting on my kitchen table for like months. And part of me was like, all right, it's, it's fine. You know, dude, it doesn't have to happen. You know, right? and I know for a fact if Sean was a girl, that box would have been opened. We would have been doing exercises every day, right? Like the press, it's interesting, right? It's like my son can just be cute and mediocre. It's all good, right? But the pressure that we put on our girls, so different. And it's because we're trying to like have them have the opportunities that we didn't have. We're trying to live vicariously through them in this way. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, having for myself, having a son and a daughter and they're four years apart, I do have the space, so to speak, to really reflect on not only how they're different as human beings, but the difference in what it feels like to raise a boy and a girl in this moment in time. And it's hard to put it all into words, but yes, for sure, there's something about wanting to guide your daughter in a certain way. And some of it feels connected to just 
wanting to protect her and wanting her to have her stuff together in a certain way so that she can kind of carry herself in the world. I think there's something there and it comes from a good place, but that definitely is probably connected to something with perfectionism. It 100% is, right? You know the world is going to be so hard for her that you want her to be perfectly prepared. Yeah. And maybe we should be doing the opposite. Maybe we should raise her to be like a fuck up like our sons, right? And I say this in a loving way, but like, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't have that same pressure on our boys because we know they're going to be okay. And so I think that we need to let our girls live that way too. Yeah, I hear you. Because all this preparation, it's not doing anything for us. Like nothing is changing. It's so frustrating. I'm giving a speech and commencement speech next week to a law school. And I just watched, I'm obsessed with, on the basis of sex, I, you know, I love RBG, right? Oh my God, it was fantastic. I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. It was so good. But I was like, wow, like nothing has changed in the law. Nothing has changed. And we have been sending year after year after year these brilliant female lawyers and they don't promote them. In fact, law firms win the award for the most undiverse industry in the world, which is shocking, right? The culture of the law is to be just, is to be fair, but they're the most discriminatory. And so you realize that all of this preparation, it's not doing anything for us. No, it just continues to push the status quo. So maybe we just need to try something else. And that's my big aha, too, in why I wrote this book. Look, we have to change racism. We have to change sexism. We have to change gender discrimination. We, I mean, on and on and on, right? But we also have to, in this moment, give our women and girls strategies to thrive in a sexist world. And so that's what I want to do, right? We pull ourselves out of the game every single day. Again, we've been socialized to do so, but we're, we are still deciding to pull ourselves out of the game. How do I stop women from doing that? And I think we can. Yeah. If anyone can, you can, Reshma. <laughs> I hope so. I want to. I really have never felt so deeply about something that in its ability to like build the revolution I want to build. That's amazing. Reshma, thank you. Before we say goodbye to one another and to our listeners, please tell everyone where we can find you, where we can find your book, and where we can just be part of this revolution. Thank you. Well, go to RashmaSajani.com and you can find out all things about all things brave, not perfect. Follow me on Instagram at RashmaSajani or on Twitter or at Facebook. And, you know, we've had this awesome Instagram and listen to my podcast. We're going to have a new season coming out, which is going to be so much fun. You know, share your brave, not perfect stories. Going back to what you said, Randy, like we can't make it all seem like it's so damn easy because it's not. And the young women that are coming, you know, they're watching us. We can show them a different model of authenticity and honesty and imperfection. Yes, Reshma, I'm really grateful that we had the chance to talk today and that we get to share this message of bravery, not perfection with the Going Beyond podcast listeners. I'm sure that it's going to move everyone in ways that is meaningful and needed. So thank you. Thank you. And to those of you who tuned in, I'm super grateful to you. Take what you learned. Spend some time reflecting upon the things in your life that are a little bit too fixated on being 
perfect and think about where you can be more you and how that can create more beauty and more growth for the world because that's what we need. And if you love this episode, do share it. Do head over to iTunes. Give this podcast some love. I love five stars. I love a great review. And of course, I love you to subscribe. Until next time, take care of yourself and be well. Bye-bye.